0: And the mountain. He had received the Ten Commandments. God had told him there's a problem down below. You need to go take care of it. So Moses has to leave God. And uh, I'm sure that was not something he wanted to do, but something he needed to do. He understood that God was upset. God actually offered Moses the opportunity to wipe out the children of Israel, who had been a thorn in his side anyway, and start over with Moses. And so Moses was kind of in a quandary there. I mean, he could have said, look, these people, you know, they've been a problem for me from day one, and I don't don't necessarily want to keep this up, so let's just start over with you and me. But instead, and this was, we talked about this, instead, Moses interceded between God and the people. And God said, and Moses said, God, let let me see what I can do. Let me go try to take care of this. And so when we leave the story last week and the golden calf, that's the part of the story we often neglect. When we left the story, God is on the mountain, angry with Israel. Moses is on his way down to find out what's going on. That's where we're going to pick up the story. And so we start in. Uh, exodus chapter 32 and here's what it says it says moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands they were inscribed on both sides front and back the tablets were the work of god the writing was the writing of god engraved on the tablets this is one of the three instances in which we have god's finger writing something Uh, we have it here in this story we have it at the story of Nebuchadnezzar and the writing on the wall. And we have it with Jesus' is writing in the sand with the woman caught in adultery. Uh, and notice also, just real quick, fun rabbit trail. The commandments are written on both sides of the stone. So you know those beautiful things that you have in your house where you've got the commandments written and one's on one side and the other's on the other side? Well, technically you only had like half there and then you have to flip it over on your wall and the back half would have the rest of them. Uh, but that doesn't make for good wall art, so we don't do that. So here's the idea, okay? So it's, it says, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, now we're introduced to Joshua again. We'll talk about that in a second. There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory, and it's not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp, And saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made, he burned it in the fire, then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites to drink it. So this is the story that you have. So a whole bunch of things that are thrown into this and and that play into what we're going to talk about. So let's go through it. And notice that Moses is coming down to the mountain. He has the tablets of stone in his hand. At some point, he encounters Joshua. Now, Joshua is not with uh, Aaron and the people, and he's not with Moses on the mountain. So somewhere in the middle is Joshua. Now, Joshua's an interesting character. We've already been introduced to Joshua. He was at Rephidim. He was the one who basically was to choose out the fighting men. He was also one of the ones who were holding up uh, Moses's hands in the battle. So we've already seen Joshua. We're going to see him some more and that Joshua is going to be one of the 12 spies that goes into the promised land. Remember, uh, 10 were bad, two were good. Joshua and Caleb are the two good ones. Uh, we're going to see that Moses, uh, we'll get later in the story. We're going to see Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land, but Joshua was. So at, at some point, Joshua has kind of become like the right, literally, the right-hand man, so to speak, of Moses, uh, if you go into the holding up his hands thing. But, I mean, he, he's one of these guys that he has become very, very close to Moses, separate from Aaron. So that's, that's interesting as we get into the story. So what happens is, is they're now, so Moses starts to come down from the mountain. Joshua joins him. They're talking, and he goes, look, there's something going on in the camp. They're not they're not in victory they're not in defeat it's, it, there's something else going on and then when moses gets there he sees the people dancing now this is a nice christian way of explaining what was going on okay these are people who had a deep connection to all of the pagan idolatry things that went on in egypt and often, when there was a celebration like this, uh, it was not the kind of party any of us would go to, okay? So, this is a bad deal. Moses sees it. Again, he spent 40 days with God. He takes the tablets, and now think about this for a second. You have something written by the hand of God, and he shatters He throws it on the ground and shatters it all, symbolically representing what the children of Israel were doing. They just busted almost every one of the commandments anyway. And so he throws this thing down on the ground. He then grabs this calf, and he throws it into the fire. Uh, He takes it, makes powder out of it, throws it on the water, and says, you want to worship it? Drink it. And makes the people drink it. And you're going to see in this story how this whole thing plays out and how bad this thing was, okay? So the people have now drank, drunk, whatever, this powdered stuff, okay? Again, you know, I do glass blowing, so I know the kind of temperatures that we're talking about in order to melt gold to a liquid form to be able to do some of the things that we're talking about, and this this was quite a fire. Then he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. It's not my fault. They said to me, make gods who will go before us for this fellow Moses. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, This isn't my fault. The people came to me, and because you left us, notice, for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. You left them here, Moses. I didn't have anything to do except do what they wanted me to do. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Really? Really? Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control so it would become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. So basically Moses coming on this scene draws a line and he says, all right, who here is going to follow God? Let's just figure it out right now. And all the Levites who eventually are going to become the priestly tribe, who are eventually going to be the ones who represent the Lord, all of them slide over to Moses' side. So apparently, even at this point in the story, and by the way, Aaron was from that tribe. Um, so the, these people slide over and say, okay, Moses, you know what? We're, 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 on your, we're on God's side here with this thing. And so now you figure God's got his people, right? Notice what happens next. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man will strap a sword to his side. Go forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing brother, friend, and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart for the Lord today, for you are against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord, Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So, what happens is basically, he comes, to the Isra- he comes to the Levites and he says, Okay, guys, get you a sword. We're going through the camp, and people are going to make choices today. They're going to follow God, or they're going to rebel against Him. If they rebel against Him, they're dead men. I don't care if they're your brother, I don't care if they're your father. I don't care who they are, if they're not choosing God, they're out of here. 3,000 people died that day. 3,000 people. You don't think Moses is serious about who's going to follow God? And then Moses comes to the people and he says, I'm going to now, and this is interesting, he says, okay, before, when he's up on the mountain with God, he makes intercession, he tries to intercede for them. Now, He says, I'm going to go back and see if I can make an atonement for you. I'm going to see if God will do something else instead of wiping the rest of you out. You have angered God in what you've done. God wants to wipe you all out and start with me. I'm going to go see if I can make a deal with God. That's what he said. Notice what happened. So Moses went back to the Lord and he said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. And if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. Notice what God said. The Lord replied to Moses Whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot out of my book. In other words, God said, no deal. Now go, lead the people to the place that I spoke of. My angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did and with the calf Aaron had made. So what you see here is this incredible story where Moses basically goes before God and says, Look, take me not them and God says no now I talked about so let's just talk about some I think the implications of this story are huge particularly for us today in our culture first of all I talked about this last week in 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 the story with Moses and God on the mountain Moses intercedes for them and he says God please give me a chance to go take care of this myself and God says okay Moses goes back up, and, he, uh, and I talked about how that was a picture of Jesus Christ interceding for us, okay? Here you see a second part of what Jesus does in the atonement. And that Moses goes in and says, God, look, let me take their place. Don't wipe them out, wipe me out. Let me be the one who takes the punishment, not them. And again, in this story, you see a picture of the cross. You see the fact that God is angry at us because of our sin. We are born sinners. We are born apart from God. At one point, God's judgment will be poured out on sin and on sinners. But Jesus comes in and intercedes for us, and he says, Look, I will take their place. Here's the great thing, and this is where you see a little bit of glimpse of it. In the story of Moses, Moses intercedes, and God allows that, Moses wants to make atonement, and God says no. In the cross, you see Jesus interceding for us before God for our sin. And you see him making atonement for us, and God says yes. God says, I will accept that sacrifice. The Christmas story is about Jesus coming to the earth to die for us. The cross story, Jesus at the cross... Is about him interceding and him making atonement for us, shedding his blood. That's why we we have communion each week. We we remember his sacrifice of his body and his blood. The resurrection is the fact of Jesus saying, yes, I accept the atonement of Jesus Christ for your sin. Therefore, giving any of us the opportunity to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So you have a little bit of that picture here in the story of Moses. I think there's two big principles that I want to pull out for us today with this story that I think sometimes we forget. Uh, Because when you look at this story, it's like, wow, that's like hardcore kind of stuff. Uh, Here's the first one. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. And I think we forget that. Uh, you know, we, you're driving around now and you're starting to see, you know, probably the earliest I've ever seen it, but you're seeing combines and stuff in the field. You know, guys didn't get up last week and go, you know what, I think I'm going to go plant some corn. And then this week pull a combine into the field. No. In, in a lot of cases, they were making preparations of the soil last week Late fall, early winter. They planted sometime March ish, April ish. They're just now reaping. You know, and they sprayed it and watched it and prayed for rain and 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 then all of the stuff that goes with it. Now it's reaping time. And I got news for you. You know, if, I don't know if you've ever done the math. Do the math sometime. Uh, one kernel of corn is what they planted. How many kernels of corn does an ear have on it? I, I know somebody here knows that, on average, because you know how many rows and all that kind of stuff. You know, you know. Well, it depends on the variety and the type and the. Dee 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 dee. Oh, you got the point. It's more than one. Okay, it's a lot. And if you get two ears, it's even a lot more. Why? You always reap more than you sow. You reap what you sow. You always reap more than you sow. The harvest is always late in coming. Those are principles of of sowing and reaping. You're now watching them reap what they sowed a long time ago. It's the same way. I, I tell kids this all the time. Kids, look, get this. You do the hard things now, life will get easier. You do the easy things now, life will get harder. It's your call. It's your call. Don't you learn that in sports? You go and you practice and practice and practice. You do the hard thing. You know, nobody in, nobody in basketball goes, okay, during the game we're going to run wind sprints. Nobody does that, but yet you run up and down the court all day long in a game or it goes into overtime, you can tell which teams were practiced and pushed and which teams were. You see that over and over and over again as it plays out in life. And I, I think we forget this, but you reap what you sow. Look, I, I don't want to jump in the political thing, but listen, You know, we we had Supreme Court justice uh, pass away this week. Look, forget the politic thing. You reap what you sow. Four years ago, we had this situation, and we had a group stand up and go, well, you know what? We should wait till we have the next president. And that was great when you were on the other side of it. Now it's coming back to reap what you've sown, and you made a stand, and you made a choice and you made a decision, and there are consequences that come with that. And now all of those things that you said four years ago are now going to get played over and over and over on TV. Why? Again, I don't, I, I don't care about political party. Why? You reap what you sow. If this is the way it was four years ago, then that's the way it's going to be now. And if you wanted it different now, then you should have done it different four years ago. Because the choice was made in the way you handled it four years ago, that when we come up with that situation again, if we ever come up with that situation again, here's how it should play out. These are the rules that you set. And we, we forget that. Choices have consequences. And so often, and here's what I see, this is, this is this, okay, my rabbit trail pushed my buttons, this gets the upset. So here it goes, All right. Some of you are like, I like it when you go down that. Well, you know, I don't. I beat myself up afterwards because I probably shouldn't have gone down it. But here we go. Here's what I watch. I watch parents. There's a hard-nosed coach who pushes kids and pushes kids and pushes kids. And I watch parents go, yeah, that's good for you, good for you, good for you. Make it hard, make it tough, make it tough, make it hard. I watch parents who send their kids off to military school. And it's like, yes, I I want you to go to basic training and be tough and learn all of the stuff, and be hard on them, and, and, and all of that. Then you get them into a classroom where there's a teacher that's hard, and it's a parent now comes into the teacher and goes, you're just way too hard on these children. You don't understand how busy my, my little angel is. And my angel is involved in so much stuff. And they don't have time to do all of this stuff that you're giving, because when the teacher pushes them, Then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they want to soften everything. They want to make sure that there's no... Well, the reason my kid didn't get his homework done, it's really simple. He didn't get his homework done, he's got enough. Well, no, 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 you don't understand. That will affect his GPA, and then he won't be able to get into the scholarship, and he won't be able to get to sports, and then he won't be able to do this, and then he won't be able to do this. Stop. Choices have consequences. You soften the choices, the consequences now, they're going to have to learn it the hard way later. You're not helping them. You are crippling them. You are hurting them. I, my granddaughter, five years old, I'm trying to teach her this. Grandpa, will you do this for me? No. Oh, Grandpa, will you help me put my shoes on? No. You know how to put your shoes on. Put your shoes on so we can go outside. Oh, I, I'm I'm just hard. And she's, like, she's like, oh, Grandpa. She's like, oh, Grandpa. No. Put your own shoes on. I'm going outside. You can join me or you can sit here and figure out how to put shoes on. Why? Because I'm trying to teach her that there's consequences with her choices. If I'm always putting on your shoes, you're never gonna learn how to put on your shoes. No one's gonna want somebody else to put on your shoes. And you go, Well, that's silly. Well, I'm watching people do it with teenagers all the time. One of the hardest lessons I learned in college, I'll never forget, I was a senior. Um, I had uh, I took a semester off and traveled for the university on a drama team. We were in different church every day for for 18 weeks, uh, doing drama presentations and sharing the gospel and things like that. And so I so I was a semester. So I tried to do four years of college in three and a half years. So I went to summer school one year to get some out of the way. And I got up to my senior year and I was going to be short. And so I took. And if you know how it goes in college, you know, particularly for your upper-level courses, they only offer them certain times. And trying to get my schedule worked out, there was the only way I could graduate on time was to take a upper-level course in philosophy that met on, three hours on a Monday night. So I took the course. Gunter Salter, Dr. Gunter Salter, he was head of one of the department, was a teacher. He stood up the first night of class, and he said in his old German accent thing, and I'm not going to try it. But he said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, this class meets three hours on Monday night for 18 weeks. I do not believe, the material that, he is, that I am sharing with you is so important that I do not believe if you miss one of my classes, you will be able to get an A. I will not allow you to miss two of my classes and pass. It was really simple in his German way. It was really simple and straightforward. Later that semester, I got involved with a speech competition. We had to meet on a Monday night to compete. So I went into his office and said, Dr. Salter, I said, I am in a speech competition. They cannot do it any other time than Monday night. I'm gonna have to miss your class. And he said, do you understand? You will not get an A. And I was like, yes, I understand that. This is important to me. I don't, at that point, I didn't care about a GPA. I just cared about graduating. You know, I, wa- I wasn't summa cum laude. I was diploma cum lucky. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, it was one of those deals. So, <clears throat> that's what I was after. That's what I was after. So, I was like, okay, fine. So, I entered the competition. I did really well. I made it to the semifinals. Guess when competition was? Monday night. I went in to Dr. Salter, and I said, Dr. Salter, said, it's my senior year I'm getting ready to graduate, and I said, I'm going to need to miss part of your class. I've worked it out with the the speech people, but I'm going to have to miss part of your class on Monday night. And he said, fine, you will not pass. He said, but Dr. Seltzer, it's my senior year. I understand you will not pass, and I had a choice to make. So I dropped out of the competition in order to get my diploma. And I thought he was mean, he was unfair, it wasn't right, all the things that you go with. But what he did in that class was taught me something that was far more valuable than anything I would have learned in any competition or anything else, and that was simply this. Life is about hard choices. And a lot of times you don't get to make a choice where you get two wins. It's a win-lose. And in order to do this, I had to give up that. That lesson did more for me in my life than anything I ever learned in his class or anything I ever learned in competition. Because he taught me, you make the choice. I'm going to give you an advantage you don't always get in life. I'm going to tell you what the consequence is before you make the choice. And I'm afraid that we're conditioning a whole group of young people that we have, we're, we're, we're try, and, and as adults, we're out there just trying to make it easy and, easy and easy and easy and easy and easy. And listen, we're not doing our kids and the generations after us any favors. Why? Because the best thing you could do, my wife does this in kindergarten, choices have consequences. Good choices good consequences bad choices bad consequences and when we start softening consequences because you look at this story i know you look at this story and you're going man alive i mean come on is it that big a deal they made a big calf and they had a great party people needed to die over that yes yes, because people needed to decide which side are you going to choose which side are you going to choose choices have consequences um, the consequence for Aaron, by the way, um, I think is, is, is great, because you know what? You know who becomes the new leader in Israel? Joshua. The guy who's hanging up on the mountainside waiting for Moses. Because Aaron listens to the crowd. And, even, and you're going to see this story later when they go into the promised land with the spies. Ten of the spies all go together, but Joshua and Caleb stand up against the crowd. And said, Yeah, we saw all that stuff too, but we don't think we, we think that God's just going to give us greater victory. I think it's important that we understand choices have consequences. I think the other issue that we need to understand is this. You have to make a choice. God's side or the crowd side. And I'm going to suggest to you that in the days ahead, this is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. The days of you being able to kind of be a mediocre or middle-of-the-road Christian are coming to an end. We're going to get to a point, I believe, in our culture and in our society where you're going to have to take a stand on either you're going to stand with God or you're not. I don't know if you're following what's happening in California right now with Grace Community Church. But basically the situation is this. John MacArthur who is the pastor and has been for a long time of, of Grace Community Church. Uh, phenomenal Bible scholar. I love reading his commentaries. I love reading his stuff. Uh, solid. I don't, again, I don't agree with him on everything, but there's such minor things that I disagree with him on, it's not that big a deal. But when, 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 I look at, when I look at what's happening right now, they're in Los Angeles County. Los Angeles County has come in and said, These are, first of all, they said you can't meet. Then they realized since they let other people meet, they had to come up with something. So they sent this church a list of requirements they had to meet in order to gather together. The requirements were things like, in your parking lot, you have to have one space between every car. When someone comes to your church, they have to register ahead of time, even if they're visiting during the week. In between services, you have to have disposable seat covers that you have to get rid of for the next group coming in. They told him, again, if you know MacArthur, they told him he had to shorten his preaching time. They told him he couldn't have communion. They told him that it would be better that during the service, people used the restroom so there weren't too many people in the restroom at any given time. They told him that if you're going to meet together and somebody from another family spends more than 15 minutes with somebody else from a different family, uh, you need to quarantine that person for 14 days. They told him they couldn't meet indoors, they needed to meet outside. And here's the thing, John MacArthur basically has stood up and said, and they told him, they said, if you don't do this, we're going to find you and arrest you. And John MacArthur said, basically, we're going to continue to meet. Um, he said, in one interview was hilarious. He said, well, he said, uh, next to Jesus Christ, and he, he gives the gospel often in his interviews and stuff like that, which is amazing how he weaves it all in there. But in one of the interviews, he said, uh, when Paul, he said, one of my heroes is, is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He said, and when Paul walked into a new town, Paul didn't ask what the hotels were like. He always wanted to know what the jail was like because he figured that's where he's going to end up anyway. And, and I thought, what a great response. But anyway, he said, you know, he said, look, we're going to go ahead and we're going to meet. Now, look, I don't care what your political deal is right now. And you could debate whether or not he should have just said, you know what, we'll just meet outside. I mean, you can have all of those debates. But what has happened over there is, he is oh, they have opened up Pandora's box because it's going to go one of two ways. He has basically made a stand, and basically what he's saying is, you can't tell us how to worship. Now, I agree in principle with what they're doing because it's not applied equally. For instance, I doubt that they have the same rules for their city council meeting or the bars in town or the restaurants or any other places of of, of business. So what has happened is this whole thing has kind of opened this thing up because they're telling them how to... When you start looking at me and going, you can't have communion. We have a problem, Houston. Okay? So... There's coming a point, I think, in America where we are going to have to learn to stand and we're going to have to make some very difficult choices and those choices are going to have consequences. So let me just play it out for here. Let's say that all of that was happening here. How would I respond? How would the board respond? What would we do? Here's the thing. If it is equally across the board, I have no problem closing these doors. If the bars are closed, the restaurants are closed, if venues are closed, all this, I have no problem. I have no problem in a pandemic with that kind of glow, uh, that kind of government, some would call it overreach, but if the government's genuinely looking at it and saying, across the board, we're going to do this. You heard me say this before the thing started, you know, when the bars and casinos close, then I'll take it as serious. And they did, and so we had no problem shutting the doors and going online. And I don't, I don't have a problem with that. If If they would come in and say, look, COVID thing has just gone ballistic in this area, and the governor comes in and says, we're going to need to shut all of it down. Okay, I, I, I understand that. But When you start picking and choosing, when you start telling us that we can not do certain things, but other groups can, there's a problem. There's a problem. And I will go to jail, and I will pay whatever fines we need to f- pay, and we will fight it out in the courts. But we are going to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ and our ability to share it and proclaim it. And in my situation, we are going to stand for the opportunity to be able to worship. You want to tell me that we've got to do certain things when we worship? Okay. You know, but you want to tell me how to worship? You know, and he me, Can you imagine coming in to me and telling me I got to shorten the message up? <laughs> wow. Or come in and tell me, Okay, you guys can't have communion. You know, you can't sing, you can't pray, you can't preach. We have a problem. We have a problem. And more and more and more, you need to understand we are coming to a point in this country we are going to have to take a stand. But every, here's the thing that's crazy to me. Everybody else out there can say whatever they want and we have to accept it. So why can't we? Why can't I go out and, and say, Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Well, what about all these other? Maybe you misunderstood me one way well yeah but what about all these sincere people stop maybe you misunderstood me one way one way there's one side here one side you go well boy that's awful that's awful narrow yes in fact I'm glad you brought that up because Jesus said narrow is his road wide is the road everybody else is traveling leads to destruction Next question? I mean, sir, we're going to have to learn to be able to take a stand for Jesus Christ and God and understand there are consequences. Like like MacArthur said, he wasn't fighting the issue of going to jail. He's like, I'll go to jail. Go ahead. You're going to find us, we're going to be here. We're going to be here worshiping and meeting. If you need to find us, go find us. If you need to come and arrest me, come and arrest me. That's why I'm willing to do that. And we're going to get to a point. In this situation, it was really simple. Moses comes down from the mountain and he says, all right, who's on God's side? And the Levites go, that would be us. And he said, okay, we're going to go take care of this problem now. And I believe they went house to house and said, Which side? I am not going to follow that God thing. You know, he left us and took us out of Egypt, and it was so much better in Egypt. Next. Next. And Moses goes and says, God, please, take me. Take me instead. Wipe me out. Don't do this. And God said, no, no, no. No, because again, there's there's an individual responsibility. The individual responsibility said, they made this choice. They paid for the consequences of it. And I'm going to go through. And i'm going to send a plague and i'm going to take care of this why because they made a choice and choices have consequences and i think the implications for this are so widespread for us and i think one of the best things we can do for our children and our grandchildren And you go oh but it's so hard with my let me i want my grandchild to like me when they come up and they have those googly eyes and they say will you please tie my shoes and I'm looking at us, and I don't get to see my grandchildren very often and they sit in my lap and I get to tie their shoes. Tie your own shoes, let's go. Oh, but you don't understand, you know, all that pressure. Stop. Stop. Choices of consequences, let's teach them early. Let's teach them early. Mom and dad, when you had that tendency to soften the blow, don't. When you have that chance to run interference for your kid, don't. Because when they get to be an adult, nobody's going to run interference for them. And if you can prepare them for that now, while they're learning to tie their shoes, you will be thrilled that you instilled some of that in them before they got to be teenagers. I can't say this strongly enough. So, this is a passage about choices. Aaron listened to the crowd. The Levites chose to follow God. Every choice you make has a consequence. Good choices, good consequences, bad choices, bad consequences. Choose wisely this week as you follow and honor God with your whole life. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. It's easy, Lord, to want to make it easier for our kids. Lord, our goal is not to make it easier. Our goal is to prepare our kids for the real world. So help us to do that. Lord, when we are faced as adults with hard choices or doing the hard things or doing the easy things, may we choose the hard things. May we take the road, Lord, that's more difficult so that as we go farther down the road, things become easier rather than harder. Use us, Lord. And when it is all said and done, may you be honored and glorified in our lives. These things we ask in your name.